0: You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you are interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Good morning. Good to see you all if I haven't had a chance to meet before. My name's Josh, the pastor here at Praxis. A big warm welcome to you on behalf of the staff, uh, leadership, eldership. Um, We're honored that you're here. If you're a first-time guest or visitor, just great to have you with us. A quick update before we get going here on last week's vote of affirmation of Keith as an elder here at Praxis. Very excited to announce that 100% of the votes came back in affirmation of Keith, which is, um, I've never seen that before. That's incredible. And yeah, I'm very, very excited. Also a little hurt because I think you guys like Keith more than me. That's the honest truth of it. I've never seen a 100% vote of affirmation before, but uh, just it validates and, and speaks to the character of this man. He's, you know it, he's been very vested into this body. He embodies the characteristics of an elder, and I'm honored to serve with him and alongside him. We continue to pray for more men to come forward, be trained up. We've got some in the queue, but just keep praying with us because our heart is that practice to be a church led, co-led by a group, of elders together. So it's not me over the elders, and some of you will have seen models like this. It's not me under the elders, it's me alongside, co leading. And so Keith is every bit as much a pastor and elder of this church as I am. And I'm just really honored to have him be part. So, brother, thankful for you. It's tear up again, man. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me pray quick. <laughs> Father, first, I, I'm so much to be thankful for. So we've just been singing that we have this hope that one day we will stand before you face to face. That's our hope when this body of sin has been peeled back from us. This new nature that you died to purchase us would be fully embodied in us and we would once again inhabit our bodies free from sin and all of its effects and long for that day. And I thank you for your grace and provision of your Son that has purchased that for us, the new nature that is in us, the Holy Spirit that indwells us, the Word that guides us and leads us forward as we put on this new character. And I pray this morning as we do this, that you would, Holy Spirit, come and lead and guide by the scripture that you spoke through men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Would we as disciples of Jesus continue our journey forward to put on this new character, to walk in the way of holiness? We're desperate for that. We're dependent on you to accomplish that task in us. So I pray as I open the word, would you come do what I can't, which is make it come alive in the heart. I need it. This body needs it. So we just ask for your spirit to, to and do your work here right now. Pray in the great name of Christ. Amen. We are continuing on in the book of Proverbs. A fantastic book. Uh, we've been going through it for a little while. Written by the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus, Solomon. Solomon wrote this to his son in order to train him up to be a king, to be a ruler who would embody wisdom and, and honor God throughout his whole task. This uh, um, great collection of different proverbs here, there's over 900 different kind of proverbial sayings. The vast majority um, written by Solomon himself and They cover a wide range of topics, all the way from anger, which we talked about last week, through to parenting, through to work, right down to money, which we're going to talk about this week. We talked about anger first. But really, we could have probably talked about money first, because it's talked about more than any other topic in the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs structurally laid out a little bit differently than other books of the Bible. These proverbial sayings, they're not clustered together according to topic. It's kind of like a bomb fell into the middle and it blew up. They're all over the place. So as you read through chapters, you'll find Proverbs on money, on your temper, on how to use your words, how to use be a parent, all of these things. They're all kind of scattered about, and if you want to, you could go through, and each day as you read, you'll get a bunch of different wisdom. Or you could go through the whole of it, pull out all the verses on one topic, and then try to digest it. That's what I've done for us. Read through the whole book of Proverbs again, and it takes about an hour and 45 minutes if you're interested in doing it. I grab all of the verses to do with money, and then I'm going to try to synthesize them out for us this morning. In What's alarming, the the 31 chapters of Proverbs, there's over 100 of the 900 Proverbs speak to money, finances, stewardship, poverty, um, different topics around the central topic here. It gets an alarming amount of coverage. And it's not just in Proverbs. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that speak to money, and Jesus spoke to money a lot as well. Eleven of the 39 parables Jesus spoke were to do with finances, and it's a topic Jesus taught on a lot. Not because he's like the, you know, some modern televangelist trying to fleece the flock and get a jet or the first century equivalent. Not because of that. The reason why it gets so much play is because money is the thing that is most likely to sit on the throne of our heart before God. So there's lots in the Bible about this because it's a very vital topic. Jesus said this. He said, no one. (laughs) Let's try it again. No one, Matthew, there we go, okay. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve... God in money. Money has this way of intoxicating us, grabbing hold of our hearts, making us feel self sufficient. And that's the danger of it, is that suddenly we feel like we're okay when in reality it can cause us to ignore our deeper spiritual situations. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, and money is a bit of a tricky, sneaky master. So we've got to be on guard. Now, on the the heels of that statement, I'll say this. Having money does not mean that you don't serve Jesus. It does not mean that. If you have money, it does not mean that you serve money more than him. It could, but it might not. And this truth actually gets past a lot of people. You might be more a slave of money if you don't have any. That that's, could be the case. I didn't see this for years. I grew up really poor, raised by a disabled single mom, and didn't have a lot and and I grew up thinking if p- the people who have money are unrighteous and everyone who's poor is righteous. thought you know somehow I'm right because I have less, not and I, I completely failed to see I was wrong, you know often having no money can make you more a worshiper of money than if you do have it. You can look to it and think, all my problems will be solved once I have it. When I was young, I thought people who didn't have money were righteous, and people who did were unrighteous. And in this room, there might be people who think the opposite, though. If you have money, you're righteous, and if you don't, you're unrighteous. You could fall into either of these camps. It's important that we see our righteousness, our righteousness is not tethered to our financial situation. You can be righteous and rich or poor, and you can be unrighteous and rich or poor. Some people have money, because they've been unrighteous in order to get it. Some people have money because God has blessed them for being righteous. Some people have no money because they've been unrighteous and squandered it. Other people, they're righteous in their poverty. The core thing, our goal should not to be rich and have wealth. It should be to be righteous. And then if we're rich or poor, come what may, that's okay. Here's another quote by Jesus on money. He said this, If you've not been faithful, he's saying this to both rich and poor, if you've not been faithful with your worldly wealth... Who could entrust to you true riches? If we're going to be faithful, we're going to need some wisdom. And there's a lot on, on, on the line here as we're going to see throughout this. We need wisdom so that we can be wise with our riches or our piles of it or our lack of it. The key is that we be righteous. And so what better place to go than the book of Proverbs? We're going to take a look at what Proverbs has to say. Um, there, like I said, there's over 100 verses in the book of Proverbs on this, many more throughout the scriptures. I've, tried, I've, I've pulled them all out, taken a look at them, tried to synthesize them down, and what I found is they all kind of fall under one of three categories. How to view it, how, to, how should we understand money? Lots of Proverbs on that. How do we get money or build wealth? Lots of verses on that. And then as well, how do we use money? Proverbs full of wisdom on, on all of these topics. When we when we think of money, chances are, just if you've grown up in kind of the affluent west here, we probably think of it as like the ride tickets, like tickets to get the experiences, the things, the stuff we want. That's how we view money. It's this thing that will give us all that we want. But Proverbs actually speaks more to what riches And wealth won't provide than what they do provide. Take a look at this. So it doesn't provide protection, purpose, and permanence. And I'm going to show you where I'm getting this from in the scripture. The first to protection. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. It's like our fortress. No one can get past this. My riches will protect me. They imagine it, a wall too high to scale. And it's saying that very cynically. They imagine it. It's imaginary. It's not too high a wall to scale. Secondly... Riches don't provide purpose, which many people look to it for. And there's another verse on this. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. That's not your purpose. Don't wear yourself out to that end. Be wise enough to know when to quit. If that was your purpose, never quit. Get as much as you can. But it's not your purpose. Be smart enough to know when to quit. Um, They also don't provide permanence. Take a look at this. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings And fly away like an eagle. So don't look to riches for these things. They can't provide them. They aren't the most important thing. In fact, Proverbs gives five things that are more important than riches. First here, knowledge. And I won't put all the scriptures up on the screen because honestly there is, like I said, over 100 verses today. I'm not going to be able to put them all up or the the slide guy's finger is going to wear up. Proverbs 20.15 says, Gold there is, and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. Far better to have knowledge than riches. Proverbs 3 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. She's more profitable than silver, and her gain is better than gold. Wisdom's better than riches. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better a poor man with integrity than a rich man who's crooked. Integrity, honesty, a good name, they're all better than riches. Proverbs 11, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. There's one currency you want to walk into heaven with. It's not a pile of whatever currency the country you live in deals in. Righteousness is better than riches, As well, Proverbs 15, 16. And we talked about this our very first week in this series. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. The fear of the Lord is better than riches. In fact, one point in in the Proverbs, we see this prayer put up. And I I really like this. I think it's a good attitude to approach finances with. uh, um, There we see Edgar pray this. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? I don't need you. I've got everything I need. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Does that then mean that we shouldn't try to build up wealth? Should we just... You know, avoid the, the getting or the gaining. Well, some would take this approach and say, you know, like, just make nothing. Um, go be monastic. You know, don't, don't try to acquire anything in this life. That's how we become righteous. I don't think Proverbs takes that stance, though. Proverbs 13.22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. You're going to need some wealth if you're going to do that. If you're going to pass generational wealth onto your kids, Proverbs praises that. Proverbs 28.20 says, A faithful man will be richly blessed. You can read that man or woman. If we're faithful, sometimes the Lord blesses us with riches as a result of our faithfulness. Proverbs 22.4 says, The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches. So now I'm not going health and wealth prosperity on you here, but the Lord clearly does from the scripture like to bless his people with riches. Uh, And Proverbs will provide a lot of warning around those because it wants us to think soberly about money, not to look at it as our savior, but it does... At the same time, speak positively about acquiring wealth in a godly way for godly purposes. And it says that God often gives it to his followers as a reward, more of it as a reward. We'll get to how um, we're to use that reward that God gives us in a minute. That's important. But first, I want to take a look at some of the ways Proverbs says to get money. This is the second point. And in the three categories they fall under, there's a lot of verses around in Proverbs about how we build wealth, how we get money. Um, There's 10 lessons, as I synthesized it out, that I see Proverbs um, speaking to in all of these verses. The first is this, is to work diligently. There is so much, in fact, on this point alone that we're going to come back and we're going to do a whole week on wisdom for work. We're to work diligently, though, and I'll give you a few verses. The first, Proverbs 6, where we read, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways. Be wise, without having any chief or, like, commander. She prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. So how long are you going to lie there, O sluggard? Consider the ant. Arise from your sleep, because a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest in poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's saying... Less sluggarding, more slugging. Go out and get it. Why? Because the Lord blesses hard work. Proverbs 14:23. we read, In all toil there's profit, but mere talk lends only to poverty. So, again, we, we're told, go and get it. Stop laying around waiting for it to come. Go get it. Work for it. Proverbs 20, 13, we read, Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake Stay awake and you'll have food to spare. Because it says stay awake. I like that. Because we're not made for sleep and leisure. That's not why God created the garden. He created us for good work. And as we did that, he blessed it. He would bless it. Same is true today. Ephesians tells us this. We're created for good works. Prepared before the foundations of the world. Good work. Proverbs 10 tells us, Lazy hands make for poverty but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful one. Now, we read this. We need to remember this is written to an agrarian society. And so this is like at, during harvest time, it was time to work. If you're here from Alberta, Saskatchewan, you know this. You have probably heard your parents say something like, "Yo, make hay when the sun is shining. Anyone hear that? Yeah, so some, okay. It's go out, Hey, there's a time to work. There's a time to gather. When, when it's that time, go out and get after it. And I like this one because I think today many people arrive in their, whatever, late 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're, they don't have anything, and it's because they didn't make hay when the sun was shining. They didn't use their 20s and 30s to, to work hard at something. We're told, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. And so the question that just to apply this, because we're, we're seeking to be students of the wisdom provided by proverbs, is then, what work has the Lord given us to do? What land has He given us to toil? That could be literal land. maybe you've got 10 acres, a black mountain or somewhere you know, but maybe it's your family, maybe it's your home. Maybe it's, it's a career. If you're here, it's this work in this city, but what has what the Lord given you to work at, and are we working hard at it or half-heartedly? Proverbs says to work diligently. And then the second thing we see it say is to work honestly. A lot of verses to this end for the sake of time. Um, I won't go through them all, but I'll share just one. Uh, Proverbs 11.1 1 we read, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just scale is to his delight. The Lord loves honest labor, not not trying to, like, rip people off, not trying to scoundrel people out of income, but just honest work, we're told in Proverbs, the Lord blesses. Third piece of wisdom Proverbs presents with regards to gaining wealth is to save consistently, and it says this in chapter 13, I believe we got a slide. Yeah, okay. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Actually, I like the New Living Translation. It puts it, um, sometimes uses some great language. I like this. It says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. It warns, actually, against this promise of get-rich-quick. You know, and if you've... There's all sorts of these pursuits that come along in our lives. Like, if you do this, you're going to just make a pile. You'll never have to work again. If you get in now, you'll be on the top. Like, it's all sorts of these things. The people I know who chased get-rich-quick schemes are in jail, okay? Or they've squandered everything, or they've given all their money to weigh a multi-level marketing thing. They're trying to sell you essential oils or or something like that. Sorry if I've just offended. That's a sacred cow in the church, the essential oils, I know. But here it says, little by little is how you will increase your wealth. Not fast, not all at once, but as a result of good habits that compound over time. And this is true of everything. If you want to get good at guitar, practice it every day. If you want to get strong in the gym, go pump iron every day. If you pound Doritos and brewskis every day, your midline will grow if you consistently work at it and keep up your hard work. Proverbs tells us something similar. Regular disciplines with regards to our money will pay off and compound over time. And there is many verses to this effect. If you want to build wealth, build a practice of saving consistently. Seek to not live paycheck to paycheck. That's not wise. The scripture would say wisdom is to gather little by little and it will increase over time. And that leads us into our fourth point, which is to spend conservatively. Proverbs 21 says this, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. I I remember my mom saying something to this end like, hey, don't let that money burn a hole in your pocket. Just because you have it doesn't mean you need to spend it. This is the difference. One man's house, there is treasure. The other one has devoured it. One man has a wine rack full of wine. The other one has a recycling bin full of all those empty wine bottles. One person has a bank account with money in it. The other person uses their bank-like cash plan where you go in and you just cash your check and, and that's it, give me my money so I can spend it before the next payday. Proverbs says, work hard, work honestly, save consistently, spend conservatively, live within your margins, in fact, live below them. And that leads into our fifth point, which is to live modestly. Proverbs 13 says this. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. And now notice, both people are pretending. One's pretending to be rich and isn't. The other person's pretending to be poor, but they're actually rich. There's a correlation. What we're pretending to be does, does speak to our economic level to some degree, according to Proverbs. What are we pretending to be? We're we pretending to be rich or poor. These principles of, of spending conservatively should result in us living modestly. There's some who want to look rich, and so they go out and they buy things they can't afford, and they're literally not wealthy because they want to look rich. They could perhaps be rich if they weren't trying to look rich. In, they could be in debt up, up to their eyeballs because they're trying to look rich. I, I found this slide this week, and I, I think it was accurate, so I stole it off Instagram, and I haven't credited it. Um, you see here, a poor man trying to look rich and a rich man dressed very casually. And I I know a few rich people. This is true more often than not. I know some really wealthy people. Usually they drive pretty average cars, like beat-down cars. They dress really plainly. The gentlemen I know dress really plainly, not their wives, Um, (laughs) but they dress pretty plainly. I gotta be honest, right? I'm a pastor. Because they know how these principles work. The principles that made them rich, they practice afterwards, and it keeps them wealthy. It leads into our sixth point. Borrow wisely. Proverbs 22, I believe, says, yeah, be not one of those who gives pledges. So says, hey, if you give me this, I'll give you this later. That's what they're talking about in this agrarian society, pledges. So be not one of those who gives pledges who puts up se- or who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay... Why should your bed be taken from under you? Like leveraging all you have to get other things. I want that new stereo. So I'll use my credit to get a a stereo, whatever it might be. Many people are using credit to buy completely useless things. Their life's propped up on credit. And Proverbs says, don't do this. Don't overextend yourself. You might lose it all. Interest rates might change. You might lose your job. And everything you have might come and get seized. Anyone here, your dad told you, you pay cash for everything? couple hands. Yeah, okay, that's, I mean, pretty good wisdom there. It's a little hard to get a house today, though, isn't it, if you just pay cash for it? I mean, not just in Kelowna, like anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, you're probably going to have a hard time getting a house if you're trying to just pay cash for it. And so you might have to borrow, but that's where this comes in, is borrowing wisely. Understanding the difference between good debt and bad debt. Bad debt is things we get into that instantly the value of the thing we get plummets, and, and we're still paying it off in interest payments on this thing that doesn't actually benefit us and doesn't grow wealth for us. Good debt is, it functions differently. It's things that maybe, yeah, we have to borrow some money for, but it's going to benefit us. Maybe that's an education, but it could be a house, It could be tools to run your business, things that are gonna actually make you more money in the long run. It's the difference between good and bad debt. The problem is that many people are up to their eyeballs in bad debt. A quarter of their income, half of their income is going simply to interest payments on the things that maybe they bought to look rich or they bought and they didn't actually need. Many people are stuck in this situation or have been in this situation. You might be stuck in that situation right now. I want to let you know about a course we have coming up here in-house called a financial discipleship course. The goal of this course is to help people get out of debt, stop, like, just paying interest on everything, get out of debt, get free, so that you can live with greater freedom, you can be more generous with the resources the Lord has ha- has gifted you with. We've got some f- a financial advisor in-house who helped write this class. It's kind of a reworking of... Uh, Financial You, if you're familiar with that, but it is is rooted in the scriptures. It's going to be run by um, some financially-minded people, investors, bankers, people in the church with great wisdom in this area. Um, we've got the registration online today. It just went up, praxischurch.ca. It's a five-week course, and if you go through this, what I'll promise you is that it will transform your thinking in your life. It's a fantastic Um, Fantastic course, but we really believe that Christians are not to live in debt, and we want to help people apply the truth of the Scriptures in this area. So if you're interested, go check that out. But Proverbs just speaks to it at great length. Borrow wisely. Seventhly, invest wisely. So borrow and, and, and invest. And if you go into Proverbs, the last chapter of it... Proverbs 31, there's this famous kind of poem about a woman who embodies wisdom. It's a wise wife who embodies all the principles of wisdom that we find in the book of Proverbs. And what we find there is that, let me flip over there, Proverbs 31, she's described as um, considering a, a, a piece of property. Considering a field and buying it, it says, and out of her earnings planting a vineyard. And this is interesting. She invests wisely. She considers the field. She looks at it and goes, will this yield a profit? Is this a good investment? Why is she buying it? To plant a vineyard so that she can make more money. This is good debt. This is good investment in order to, to, to invest wisely. And I think real estate's a good investment because the government can't just print more land, right? It's a, it's a, maybe you can't get into it, and I know there's, there's like that's an inhibitive thing to do now, but maybe there's some things that you don't know and some practices you could implement that would actually help you one day get into real estate. This leads us into our next point, which is to seek counsel. Because we don't know what we don't know. Run your ideas past people. Get wisdom from people ahead of you. Maybe there's some things that you could do that you do not yet know about, some practices, some things that you could learn that would help you grow in wealth. I remember um, going up to my boss, and this this took some challenge, actually, because I think as men, we kind of run, we've got an aversion towards asking for help. Anyone else? Liars. We, I know you guys, okay? I remember just like early on, before GPS on my phone, I'd drive around in circles looking for things. I got this, Becca. I know where I'm going. (laughs) And Never stop and ask for direction. Now i got Google, and I don't need to ask anymore. It's so good. But it, it, this runs over into other areas of our life as well. I'm not going to ask for wisdom. I've got this. You know, trust my instincts. That is quite foolish. Why not learn from wisdom from people who came before you? So I remember I was 18, 19, after I left Bible college, I went to my boss, and I said, I want to make a million dollars in 10 years. And um, he gave me some fantastic wisdom. I didn't make a million bucks in 10 years, but it was helpful and it certainly set me up to to get to a better place than I would have ever got to on my own through seeking wisdom. Without counsel, without someone else speaking into our situations, we will never know whether we're being foolish or not. We won't know. We might be just wise in our own eyes and, and complete fools in other people's. We need outside wisdom or we could be throwing money away or we could be stewarding it really poorly. And that leads us into our ninth point that I see Proverbs speaking to, which is that we are to manage our our money faithfully. And I'm going to take us out of Proverbs for this to Jesus himself. So he said this, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much. Why? Because it's the principles of faithfulness that apply to whether you have much or little. One who's dishonest in little will also... Be dishonest in much. Notice here, the goal is not to be rich. The goal is to be faithful. Because if we're not faithfully managing small amounts, we won't do it with much. If we aren't faithfully managing a little, we'll, we'll not only will we not grow that amount, we won't be able to hold on to the larger amount either because we will squander it away just like we did the lesser amounts. And if, you, if we can't manage what we have, just why would God give us more? You might get more, okay, but if it's coming from God, why would he give more to a dishonest manager or an unfaithful manager or a foolish manager? There's, there's no reason to believe that either when we get more, we'll be more faithful. I know lots of people always think that way. Oh, if I had more, I would give. The same principles will play out when you have more. How many of you have heard stories of people winning the lotto and then it's just gone in a year? It's it's actually a frightening statistic about how many people this happens to. It's because the the people were literally probably in the situation they were before because of their habits, looking to the lotto to save them with some quick deposit, get-rich-quick idea. And then when it comes, the same principles play out, and they just lose it all on the back end. Faithful management is the goal. The goal isn't more money, it's faithfulness. And the question then for all of us is whether you have money or don't, it's just this, are you being faithful? That's all that matters. Are you being faithful with what the Lord has given you? And now um, the last principle that I see the book of Proverbs presenting on how to gain wealth, and it flows right into our third point. Like I said, we were going to talk about how to think of money, how to gain money, and then how to use it. This principle on how to gain money is also a principle on how to use money. So it's kind of confusing. We've crossed over now into the third point, but we're still in the second. The tenth point is this to give generously. I'll give you a couple verses. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with with the first fruits of all of your harvest. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Through giving, we get. Through releasing, we get. Does that hurt anyone else's brain? There's another verse here. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers only want. Okay, these two verses, if we want to gain wisdom, what are they telling us about how to increase the amount we have to build our own wealth? What is it telling us? Give. Give. I don't know how it is, but but it works. And I know there's people in the room who can attest to this as well. God gives us things, and they're not just for ourselves. What he gives to us is not supposed to end in our pocket. It's meant to flow through us. He has works for us. He has purposes for the money that he gives us. He has a mission for us, and everything that we have is to be used for this end. And often, our hands are filled through giving. We don't give, though, just to get more, but this is a true principle. Our hands get filled through giving. An open hand, just to use kind of a visual here, an open hand can hold more than a closed hand. An open hand can receive more than a closed hand. If you were to, to try to pour just some sand into my hand, I would hold more like this, even though some would flow off of it, than if I was to try to squeeze it where it would all come out. That's what Proverbs is getting at. God gives us money for a purpose. And there's a few different purposes that he gives us money for. The first, yes, it is to provide for our family. 1 Timothy 5 actually says that if a man doesn't provide for the needs of his family, he's worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. That's the Bible. If a man has a wife and kids that he's not providing for, He's worse than an unbeliever, and he's denied the faith. Why would it say that harsh statement? It's because God provides for us, doesn't He? And if the father is to be a picture of Christ to his family, if he fails to provide for his family, what is he saying about God? He's, he's painting a picture that God's some like miserly Scrooge McDuck, and that's it's just not who God is. So money, God gives to us so that we... Yes, we could take care of the needs of our family. As well, that we could take care of others. And there is so many Proverbs on this. Giving to the poor, giving to those in need. Um, Proverbs 14, 21 it says, Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Why? Because we were spiritually bankrupt and God gave graciously to us. So if we want to be like Christ, we want to be his disciples we give to those who have nothing as well. Not because they don't deserve it. Right? We didn't deserve grace. That's what grace is. Likewise, when we see people in need, we, we, we could come up with all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't help them, but the scripture tells us we're blessed when we do. God will backfill that. Hey, it's up to him about how that person uses it and whether they're faithful with it or not. That's between them and their maker. What's between you and your maker is whether you're obeying his command to give to the poor. There's wisdom to be exercised in that, certainly, but there is a lot in the Scripture that says to give generously to the poor. Third reason that God gives us money is to support the mission of God in the world. God's got a mission. And and we are, yes, we're his hands and feet, and we're also, we partner with that in in giving generously of all that he gives us. The mission of God in the world is the gospel would go to all nations, church today, there's 6,700 unreached people groups in the world with no access to the scripture. That's got to come out of our pocketbooks. We need to fund that. If you want a good organization, Open Doors. I can give you many others, too. Open Doors, uh, started by Brother Andrew, if you know him. Great organization that is getting the Bible to unreached people. The goal of God is the gospel would go to all nations and there'd be a church within reach of everyone, a place where believers could go and worship. That needs to be matter to us. And we need to show that in the way that we use the money God entrusts to us as well. If what we use, if what God entrusts to us just dead ends in our pockets, he might not provide us with more. He certainly doesn't need to. I'll I'll use another example. The lake. The lake is amazing. I love Okanagan Lake. It's a great lake because water flows into it. And water flows out of it on the south end, goes all the way down through a series of rivers and channels to the Columbia. It's got water flowing into it and out of it. If water didn't flow out of it, it'd be a pond, and no one likes ponds. They're horrible. The reason why? Because they're stagnant. If you're the sovereign of the universe, who is the one who gives all wealth, scripture says, who are you giving it to? Who are you giving water to, to stick with the analogy? A lake or a pond? The lake feeds a whole other ecosystem, supports things down line. A pond just terminates in itself, and ironically, it just turns stagnant. What are we? Are we a pond or are we a lake? This principle comes up so much in the uh, Proverbs throughout the Scripture. If we're faithful with little, the Lord will give us more, because we've proved that we can be faithful with it. This is how God operates, because this is who God is. The scripture says his name is Jehovah-Jireh. Do you know what that means? The Lord will provide. He's named that. And if this is true, then catch this. How generous we are with our money is a reflection of who we believe God is. And so we need to ask, am I telling the world that I believe God is Jehovah-Jireh? Or am I telling the world that you know, I think he's Scrooge McDuck? James, the brother of Jesus, said something um, pretty similar. He said, uh, faith that doesn't manifest outward in action is no real belief. Belief that only informs our brain but doesn't transform our action. It's not real belief. If you believe God is generous but you aren't, then literally it's time for rubber to hit the road. You either need to start being generous to match up what you say with what you say you believe, or you need to stop saying that you believe God is generous. We are blessed to be a blessing church, and if we're not blessing now, we won't bless when we have more. We don't need any more. So we need to start using what we have and practice. I just want to call us to be a generous people, because the Bible does. We're called to practically trust God And his character and his name, trust him with our finances by giving generously out of what he has. And now, 100 of the 900 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs are just to do with this. Because Solomon knew that if his son was going to be a good and a wise son, he needed to embody this. And likewise, if we're disciples of Jesus, we need to embody this as well. And that's why Jesus' 11 of his 39 parables all dealt with this. We can't serve two masters. And if you aren't obeying Jesus with your money, Jesus isn't your master, your money is. And you gotta hear me clear on this. Okay, I, I'm not after your money. If you give more here, I don't get more. I also don't know who gives. I've removed myself from that, so I'm not gonna view you any more differently. I'm not gonna be impressed with you. And if you don't give and you walk in here next week, I'm not gonna know that. I don't, listen, I don't care if you give here. Go give somewhere else. Go give to another church. The church needs support. This is the mission of God in the world. I don't care if you give here. But I do care whether your money just ends in your pocket. Why? Because the scriptures told me, and it says to the teachers, whoever relaxes the least of one of these commands is going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't want that for myself. And so I want to warn you, one day you're going to give an account for what the Lord's entrusted you with. Okay, but it's not just a warning. There's actually a promise here. When you're generous with it, the Lord will be more generous with you. And I dare you, dare you to test Him on that. How many here, you've tried this, you know you can never outgive God? Amen? Yeah. We need to be a, a people who give generously. And there's three reasons, three principles, I should say, for this. scripture gives us. One is that when we give, we're to give joyfully. Second Corinthians 9 says this, whoever sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart. So we're not coming to you with percentages. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart, not out of regret or compulsion, but joy. For God loves a joyful giver. Give joyfully in response to God's joyful gift of his son. Give regularly is another principle we see throughout the Scripture. And there's lots of verses I could go to, but I'm going to go to one of my heroes in the faith, John Piper. He said this, Nothing, If a man is growing rich in wealth, nothing but constant giving will keep him from growing small in spirit. It's true, right? Nothing but a constant outflow will keep us from becoming a stagnant pond. Third, we're to give sacrificially. Again, I'm not going to give you an amount that you should give. I'm not after your money. Jesus is not after your money. doesn't need it. He's after your heart. We give sacrificially because Jesus gave sacrificially of himself in order that our needs could be met. When we were spiritually bankrupt debtors, he came and paid our debt with his own life and blood so that we could be free to a new type of life, one that is not bowed over in the service of manmen but freed to the worship of God where when we do and we open our hands, he continually fills them. And if we are his disciples, which means an apprentice, which means somebody who's becoming like their teacher or their rabbi, if our master gave his life and he gave sacrificially, how dare we call ourselves his disciples if we're not doing the same? Praxis, we're to be a generous people. The Scripture calls us to this because our God is, and when we are generous, we're a picture of him to the watching world. This is the path to obedience, but also joy and delight. And, and I, I want to just say this. I believe that this is true for the gander, but also the goose, to use weird old analogy, like I'm a goose farmer. I believe this is true for us individually, but I also believe it's true corporately. So as a church, we are practicing this. The money that comes in here, we are shooting out. We're taking care of our needs, just like the money that comes into a family. You take care of your family needs and you take care of other things. We're supporting other things as a church. We've embedded that right in at the like, constitutional, foundational level of praxis. We've been supporting a church in northern British Columbia since we planted because I want this in. And by God's grace, I want to give more and more and more away every year. So I don't want to get indebted a ton, just get house poor, where we have to keep getting people in to pay off a mortgage. I want money to leverage for kingdom work here and around the world because there's people in the Okanagan with no access to a church. Um, by God's grace, I want to I see dozens funded. Church planters sent, missionaries funded. So we've started that. We sent some money around the world at Christmas, the first of many checks that we will be sending to an organization that is um, giving biblical education to church planters in East Africa. We're funding um, church planters' biblical education, and we're helping fund them as they go and plant new churches. By God's grace, we want to see dozens and hundreds funded. And we're cutting a check this week for a great local organization that, um, called Colona. Pregnancy Centre, some of you know it. We've been partnering with them from the beginning too because we believe this is a good and a vital work, one that the government doesn't support and the church needs to be helping support important causes like this. We're called to be a generous people. We're trying to embody that at the constitutional level, the foundational level of our church rather, and and I want that for all of us as well. The band's going to come up. I'm going to put one last scripture up on the screen. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he didn't spare his life, why would he hold back on lesser things? We do not serve Scrooge McDuck. We serve Jehovah Jireh, who gave of his son to free us bankrupt debtors to joyful worship of him. So I want to invite you to stand. And as we do, as we move into a time of response, ponder God's gracious gift of his Son towards us. And just do this. Go and live every single part of your life in joyful, obedient response to God's gift of his Son. Amen?